Welcome to the Anchored Podcast with Pastor Reginald Wayne Sharp Jr. I am so excited that you've tuned in, and it is my prayer that these messages will always help you to remain anchored, regardless of what storm or what season you're navigating. I pray that God would speak to your heart today and that you will never, ever, ever be the same again. Stay connected to Fellowship Chicago. This is Pastor Reginald Wayne Sharp Jr. I pray you stay anchored. Peace, peace. And this is what the Word of God says. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but as long as your book says Bible, you are fine. Here is what the Word of God says. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. They begged him to touch the man and to heal him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were open. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, Don't go back into the village on your way home. Verse 25, then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. For the time that we have today to share and to celebrate God's word, I want to talk from this thought today. It can't get more clearer than this. Lift those hands to heaven and say, Lord, speak. We need to hear. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. It can't get more clearer than this. My brothers and sisters, one of the wonderful things that God affords me is the opportunity to share, to travel, to be able to go into many churches and assignments to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Being that that oftentimes becomes my weekly routine, I must tell you that I spend a lot of time in airports. I go from here and there and I've learned some of the variety of things and seeing how it is to navigate from one place to the other. And like I said, I'm from Augusta, Georgia, so I must admit to you that it is not always easy traveling from Augusta, Georgia. I think you guys in Chicago are a little spoiled because you got an international airport, but where I'm from, it's a regional airport. It's only a couple of gates. We only got a couple of airlines. You got American and you got Delta. And Delta is my preferred airline. However, I must admit to you that Delta does stand for don't expect your luggage to arrive. So neither here nor there, I've learned how to make sure that I pack with necessity to take what only I need. So I will admit to you that I go. But in order for me to travel to the variety of places, even to get here for this assignment, uh, there is no straight flight from Augusta. You're not just getting on a plane from Augusta and going to any destination. You always have to make a connection through Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia, my brothers and sisters, is only about 100-some miles from Augusta. It's about a 28-minute flight. But can I be real with you? It is the worst flight in the world. Plane is small. It's just one of those things that I've gotten accustomed to. And I will admit that me and the airline people, we done got a good rapport. They know sometimes I roll up a little late, but they'll hold some things because they want pastor to get to where pastor needs to get to. But in other words, I would tell you that getting somewhere, I have to go through Atlanta, Georgia. Now, the challenge there is there's not many flights from Augusta to Atlanta, which means that I need to make my connection because without my connection, I'm going to be stuck. And being stuck is no good, especially when you have an assignment that you must do. It is not out of the realm of possibility. There have been many times that I've got on my flight and somehow, for some reason, the flight has been delayed. Whether it is some mechanical issue. It could even be times where they've said there was too much baggage on the plane. There was a plethora of things, oftentimes, that causes this flight to be delayed. Well, recently, my brothers and sisters, I was getting ready to go. I had another assignment to do. I got on the plane and everything seemed to be cool and copacetic. I sat in my seat, put my bag in my, above me in my compartment. I just buckled up my seatbelt and I start perusing on my phone. People were coming on and I was just looking. You know, I'm not the only one. There's people watching while you're in the airport or on the airline. Want to make sure everything is cool. I'm trying to size up everybody. If anything go wrong, I need to make sure who I'm rolling with. Amen. So I'm sitting there and I'll be honest with you, I'm just taking my time looking at my emails. I'm going over some things and I will admit to you, I got wrapped up in what I was doing that I did not pay close attention to time. 
But when I did look at my time, I will note that now the time for us departing has already passed. Once again, I told you these are a small flight, but if I miss my connection, it could be problematic. I can't make it to my destination. So now it wasn't just a few minutes beyond. It seems like the clock was continuing to tick on. So I, I grabbed and I pushed my little button. I wanted to talk to the stewardess. I needed to know what the problem is. I need to know why are we still stuck on the runway because I need to go somewhere. I done bought this ticket. The ticket has already been purchased. I got a place I need to end up. Why are we still stuck in Augusta? I need to know why we haven't taken off yet. I started asking the regular questions. Is it a mechanical issue? Do we need to change planes? Do, is there an issue with the way? And she said, no, sir. The pilot will come on and he'll share and explain what the delays are. And just as she said, a few moments later on the intercom, the voice of the pilot came on. He said, hey, guys, I know you're a little frustrated. And I know that many of you are saying you got tight connections. And I know you're wondering why we are still stuck here. And I'm thinking to myself, absolutely, we need to be taken off now. So I'm, I'm wondering, what is the problem? Is it a plane issue? Is it a baggage issue? And that's when the, the pilot said something interesting. He said, guys, the only reason we're stuck here is because I'm not sure if you've noticed or not, but there is fog on the runway. He said it's fog on the runway. In other words, what he was saying is because of low visibility, this plane was stuck. Now, that messed with me because the plane was working fine. There was no baggage issues. I had a ticket that was already purchased. I had a destination to get to, but we were stuck, stuck for one simple reason. The pilot couldn't see. I raise that today, my brothers and sisters, because I would suggest that there are many of you who are perhaps like me. You got purpose and plans and destiny, and you're wondering, what is the delay? What is the problem? Why can't I go forward? Why am I still stuck in the same position that I'm stuck in? And I want you to know today, it has nothing to do with baggage. It doesn't have anything to do with playing mech mechanism. But what it does have to do is perhaps you're trying to operate life in low visibility. Because whenever you can't see, you will get stuck where you are. I, I don't I don't know why the Lord had me preach this message today for this particular sermon for those who are viewing whether you're online or in person but I, I want to talk to some people that's been your issue and the problem is uh, you can't see and if you can't see my brothers and sisters uh, you will always be stuck who am I talking to in here today and so now it begins to answer the question why can't I progress on my job because your vision is impaired why can't my family continue to mature because your vision has been impaired and here is where I'm challenging you is because it's just not about seeing because you can see anything the pilot could see the problem was he could not see clearly and my aim today, my brothers and sisters, is then the time that we have to share in this moment of preaching and proclamation. God sent me all the way from lovely Augusta and wanted me to tell you that your problem is your vision is not clear. And until your vision is not is clear, you will never to be at the place that I want you to be. Do I have anyone in here that showed up today and can readily acknowledge and admit that I got to be honest with you, preacher? I don't see as well as I should. And now because of the limitations of my vision, I I am stuck and cannot get to where I'm supposed to be. You do realize how important sight is. Uh, out of the 11 million receptors in your body that deal with our sensory reality, uh, 10 million of them deal uh, with our sight. Why? Because even God understood in creating you uh, that you can't feel or touch or move uh, unless your sight is where it needs to be. And I believe, my brothers and sisters, that God has me on assignment in this moment because wherever you are, he wants to make sure that you can see clearly. Because with out clear vision you will always be stuck where you are you don't have to take my word for it. That's what is plastered on this particular pericope as we're sharing today fear in Mark chapter 8. I will admit to you I absolutely love the gospel of Mark and the way that Mark begins to paint the portrait of Jesus Christ. Mark in its essence and its chronological makeup really is the opening or Genesis gospel that really begins to explain and explore the works of Jesus Christ. But what I love about Mark is its theology of immediacy. It is a, a gospel that shows us about a God that as soon as you interact with God through Jesus that things will have to be turned around in your life. Mark begins to paint that picture but our text today is an interesting miracle because it is one that involves a blind man and Jesus. I need to raise this for you because it's not just about the miracles but whenever you read the miracles of the gospels they also begin to explicate to us the message because Jesus doesn't just do things he does them with intentionality 
and strategy and purpose behind them. That's why it's important that you get an idea or a biblical theology because there are certain things that's only lifted in certain areas. That's why our gospel marked this miracle between this blind man and Jesus. You will not see a lifted in Matthew. You will not see a lifted in Luke and you will not see a lifted in John. Matter of fact, there's only two miracles that Mark lifts up that's not in the other gospels. In Mark chapter 7, if you go back, you'll see there was a deaf man that while Jesus was with his disciples, a man who was deaf, his ears was clogged up and Jesus opened his ears. And in Mark chapter 8, we see a blind man who ultimately Jesus is going to open his eyes. I'm going somewhere. Watch this. Because what Jesus was trying to convey was not just a miracle, but the message. So in Mark chapter 7, when he opens the deaf man's ear, what he was trying to convey to the man and to the disciples is that if you can't hear right, you can't follow right. Because part of our discipleship is predicated on making sure we can hear faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. On one hand, he says, I need your ears open because discipleship is predicated upon what you hear. That's why Mark chapter 8 is the coupling miracle because he meets a blind man and he opens his eyes. He tells us that not only am I concerned about what your ears hear, but I am also concerned about what your eyes see. Because discipleship is about clarity discipleship is about seeing some things and that's what makes this text so powerful because uh, he lets us know how important uh, our clarity is to our fellowship of Jesus Christ let me share that with us quickly it's not much in this passage but I want to look at the process because it wasn't just a miracle but there were certain parameters uh, that were then explained and explored it, it's always interesting whenever you study scripture whenever you see how Jesus operates one of the critical questions you should ask is what is the process that Jesus takes them through because it's not just that he opens the eyes of a blind man but what we ought to take focus on is how he opens up his eyes because here is where I would suggest that many of us struggle is you want the miracle but won't submit to the process and so we want the Lord to do something, but you don't want to submit to how God wants to do it. I wish I had a praying church. I wish I had somebody just touch a neighbor next to you. Tell him it's tight, but it's right. Go ahead and write that in the comment section. Tell him it's tight, but it's right. In other words, I cannot expect a miracle. Watch this until I submit to the process. In this passage, there was a process that Jesus engages with this man who is blind in order to bring him vision. I, I want to share a couple of these. If you're taking copious notes, here's the first of three principles I want to share. Because I know you're wondering, what is the process that must be adhered to in order for the miracle of clarity to be examined? The text would tell us, number one, the first thing that I think that this process exhumes to us is, number one, that if you and I are going to experience clarity, number one, invite environments must be changed first thing that is part of the process is that if you're ever going to get clarity back number one environments must be changed I think it's interesting when we look at this passage Mark chapter 8 note what happens when they arrive at Bethsaida some people brought a blind man to Jesus now let me pause here and just suggest to you that I will say that this perhaps is problematic and I know you probably didn't think about it but my issue with how we are introduced to this man is we don't find out no real information about him we don't know his name we don't know where he's come from we don't know his family we don't know his job status we don't get anything about his personal nature the only thing we know about him is that he's blind all we can tell about this man is his condition all we know about him is the limitations that are holding him back in his life we don't know where he comes from we don't know how tall he is all we get is the information concerning his issue can I tell you why that's problematic to me because I think that many of us can understand the feelings of this man because there are many people who don't know you but still judge you there are many people who claim to identify you but the only thing they can identify you with is your issue what happens child of God when the only thing people know about you is what's wrong with you what what happens child of God when the only thing that people can sometimes connect with you on is the very thing that you wrestle and struggle with I thought I have some people in here that can testify that you really want to shout from the tops of your lungs that I'm more than my issue I'm more than my condition I can imagine for this man what part of life he had to live in because all he was known that and all he was introduced as a, is a blind man he's blind 
So we have on one hand his condition. He is blind. But watch the text. I think it's important for us to note here in the passage that this blind man with his issue, watch this, did not go seeking Jesus. We're not even told that he even knew who Jesus was. We don't even get any insight if he's had any kind of encounter with Jesus in the past. And so now you're raising the critical question. If this man is blind and it doesn't seem like he knows Jesus, how then does he get to Jesus? That's why I love the Bible because that's where we see how the process unfolds itself. The text tells us that the man didn't come by himself. Some people brought him to Jesus. He, he couldn't see, but some people he was connected to brought him to Jesus. Some folk that knew his condition but was concerned with him not staying in his condition knew the answer to his issue and said we're going to take you to Jesus. I ought to have a few people in here come on testifying. That's how you got to Jesus in the first place. You ain't get to Jesus because you had a great epiphany one day. You, you didn't get to Jesus because you grew up in vacation Bible school to be to you. That ain't everybody's testimony but you had some people that knew what you were struggling with. You had some people that knew what you were having problems with. You had some people in your life that knew your issue and said the only thing that's going to get you out of this issue is I need to bring you to Jesus maybe I'm in here by my lonesome but can I testify everything that I've ever experienced in my walk to Jesus started because I had some praying grandparents I, I had some folk that loved me enough to take me to Jesus I had some folk that saw beyond my faults and knew I needed somebody that could meet my needs look at somebody on your row left and right give them a fist bump and tell them I ain't here because I'm so smart. I'm not here because I did everything right. I'm not here because I crossed every T and dotted every I. But I'm here because there were some people I was connected to that brought me to Jesus. And that's what the text says. This man is brought to Jesus. He's blind. But he's brought to Jesus. That's why I appreciate a church that celebrates his history. That's getting ready to celebrate 73 years because uh, it was through the willingness and uh, the uh, amazing gifts that God gave. That's how we got in order to know the Lord. So they brought him to Jesus. But then watch what happens because I love it. They don't just drop him off to Jesus and tell him, you know, just figure it out. No. When they drop him to Jesus, they make requests of Jesus. Because it's one thing to bring me. It's another thing to pray for me. It's one thing to tell me what I need. It's another thing to intercede. So what they do is they tell Jesus, hey man, Jesus, this man's blind. Touch him and heal him. There they intercede on his behalf. There they do something I think that all of us oftentimes minimize. You do know one of the greatest gifts God gives you is the ability to pray for one another. And, and every now and again, that's why you shouldn't have to be feeling like you got to be on stage or, or have a title. Each one of us has the ability to be the intercessor for somebody. Matter of fact, why don't you go ahead and practice and just touch that neighbor on your left and right and say neighbor don't worry I'm praying for you I, I may not know your issue but I'm praying for you I, I may not know what's causing you some pain and confusion but I'm praying for you there is power when we learn how to pray on other people they didn't go to Jesus and say Jesus take care of me first then heal the blind man they said look here Jesus we gonna bring you somebody that needs only what you have and some of us should be grateful that we can bring people to Jesus and that's and they have this request and the request is touch him and heal him notice what they asked Jesus to do touch the man and heal him that, that, that's the simple prayer request touch him and heal him but, but watch what Jesus does <laughs> Jesus in our text after hearing the request of the people the Bible says he takes the man by the hand outside of the village hold on okay I know we, we, getting, we getting back acclimated together, fellowshipping. I, I love y'all. Y'all are a good, wonderful group of people, so I appreciate you. But I, I will admit to you, this seems odd and strange. Because this ain't what they prayed for. Their prayer was touch him and heal him. But Jesus takes him. Hold on, Jesus. I, I want you to do it my way. I need you to heal him how I want you to heal him. I need you... I need you to change him how I want you to change him. I, I need you to do something as I figure out you should do it. Watch what Jesus does. He breaks the norm. Instead of doing what they ask, he grabs the man by the hand and takes him outside of the village. Y'all, that time Jesus does some odd and strange things. And so I admit that when I first encountered this miracle, my question, Jesus, why are you taking this man out 
of the village. And my question, he's still blind, but you're grabbing him by the hand. And that's when Jesus said, Goody, you're supposed to be a preacher with all these degrees. It's obviously you ain't did your homework on this passage because part of understanding any passage is putting the passage in context. In order to understand the context of the text, you got to understand where they bring the man to Jesus. They're in a town called Bethsaida. If you go back and do a word study, you'll know that Bethsaida was a village of this time, but it was also of, not, of ill refute, especially when you look at it in the context of Jesus' ministry. Because as much as we talk about what Jesus lifts up and how Jesus blesses, there are moments that Jesus curses. He cursed the fig tree in Mark chapter 11. And there were also some villages that he cursed. There were some places that he cursed because of their faithlessness. So if you know anything about that, that Jesus not only blesses, but he curses, it's important to note that one of the villages that he curses is Bethsaida. So it is what Jesus said, understand, Goody, why I had to take the man out of Bethsaida is because I could not heal him in a cursed place. So before I deal with his blindness, I got to take him out of his Bethsaida. Y'all ain't trying to hear me. And I'm trying to make this as plain as possible. And may I submit to some of you in the house that your issue initially isn't that you're blind. Your issue is where your is and where you're residing and what you're around could be the very thing that's causing you to be limited in the first place. I wish I had some folk that would help me in fellowship. What I'm here to tell you is, God said I can't heal your blindness until I deliver you from your Bethsaida. There's some Bethsaida's that you are connected to that as long as you stay there you still gonna be blind. There's some Bethsaida relationships as long as you're still in it you gonna always stay blind. There's some Bethsaida jobs. There's some Bethsaida schools and so before I deal with your blindness, I gotta get you out of your Bethsaida. I know you don't think about it and I know I know you so saved and I know you so spiritual I know I know that if, if you if you ain't there the place ain't gonna be saved but some places ain't your purpose to save some places are meant for you to get delivered out of I'm a preacher preachers we have this thing that we oftentimes like what we call mundane information did you know there is a illness a documented disease called SBS sick building syndrome here is the whole premise of it there are people who are literally healthy but ultimately get ill and when they go to the doctor to try to figure out what the problem is oftentimes after a process of elimination they find out where they stay is what's making them sick So it does not matter the medication. It does not matter how much rest they try to get. The mere fact of their proximity and the place they are connected to. Uh, so the only cure for SBS is to move. Y'all ain't trying to help me. I'm trying to deliver some of you in here. Uh, because the problem is you think you can get it right where you are. But as long as you stay stuck in your Bethsaida, you're going to continue to deal with SBS. And I'm here to tell you that in order for clarity to be produced, some environments must be changed. That's, that's he says, I, I want to I wanna deal with you, but I can't, I can't deal with your blindness until I deal with your Bethsaida. So the first part of the process is environments must be changed. But there's another layer to this. And that is number two, evaluations must be candid. Jesus takes the man. He disconnects and watch this, not only from Bethsaida, but also from the people that brought him. And now it's just Jesus and the blind man. This intrigues me as a resident theologian of scripture because this is one of the few moments where Jesus does a private interaction with the individual. Typically a lot of his miracles are public. This one is just the man and Jesus. So now it's just Jesus and the man. And watch what the text says. That in this moment he takes him out of Bethsaida. And the text opens by saying, and Jesus spits on the man's eyes boy y'all such a mature church I'm so proud of my little brother man he is preaching some strong y'all got a history of just sound theological foundation cause this didn't wave none of y'all that's right that's what Jesus do what Jesus gotta do anyway you bless me Lord I'll be satisfied and God bless you boo boo but can I be real with you when I read this passage I, I struggled cause I'm like did it really take all that, Jesus? He spit. Okay, y'all. I'm, I, okay, I'm, 
I'm from down south. I'm from North Carolina. And I thought y'all a little more thuggish in Chicago. I'm sorry. I, I, I made some assumptions. Because my thing is, you ain't spitting on me. You, you ain't. I mean, the man is blind, but he can hear. In order for you to spit, you got to hold on. We got some problems. And, and I mean, I can see, but I'm going to be swinging or doing something. And you ain't going to be spitting on me. But, 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 but once again, that's why, 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 that's why. Remember, I told you. It's important. You got to make sure that when you engage scripture, you got to put text in context. Because for us, spitting is a form of disrespect. But in those days, spit or spittle was really a part of the process of supernatural encounters. Because what it was, was that it was a transfer of the essence of an individual. In other words, what Jesus literally does is he puts a piece of him in the place that the man needs it. It's interesting to note that what he's putting on the man to help the man is coming from his mouth. I have some people. That's why, child of God, you should never minimize whenever God opens his mouth. You, you just never know what the Lord is going to send your way to help you. And so this is what he does. He takes the essence of who he is, places it in the very area where the man is limited. At, and now the man has a piece of Jesus in the place of his blindness. Now... Jesus has put spit in his eyes and he backs up. And this is where the miracle shifts because he says, all right, tell me, what do you see? The man, the blind man who just got spit on by Jesus responds to what Jesus asked. The Bible says he looks intently, which means he worked to make sure he was doing all he could to see. Because he wanted to make sure he was being honest and truthful to the inquiry of Jesus. So text said he looked in Quintley. And his response to Jesus was this. Hey, um, I can see, but it ain't that clear. I see people, but they look like trees. Okay, hold on. There's a couple observations there. I need to, first of all, the mere fact the man knew what people in trees was gives us this insight. He wasn't always blind. That the blindness that he has been racked with was not something he had from birth, but there was a season of his life that he could see. So his blindness, his condition was really not something that he got from birth. It was something that developed as he lived his life. But what I also appreciate the fact is, watch this, and this is where I'm going to lose half of y'all, is because he was blind, but now he can see sort of. He ain't blind no more. Praise be to God for that. But he acknowledges in his evaluations, Jesus, um, I ain't blind no more. But I do feel like there's another level to this because what I can see is functioning beneath the best that you have to offer. Okay, I knew I was going to lose about half of y'all. Maybe some of y'all in the balcony will roll with the preacher because you know if that was some of us in the passage and you would have just got a little bit of sight and you got a little bit better, you would have been just so happy you would have been skipping off anything. You would have been like, at least I can see y'all. It ain't perfect, but it's all right. Because some of us keep settling for better. You want better this and you want better that. You want at least I can do this more than what I could do before. But something ought to be on the inside of us that when we encounter Jesus, we don't just want better. We want God's best. And I don't know who I'm preaching to in here. And I know our king the vernacular is better coming to me and better this and better that. But bump that. I've learned I love Jesus enough that I just want better when best is available. Why am I settling for good when best is available? Why am I suffering for fuzzy vision when clear is still available? Look at somebody and say, neighbor, stop settling for better. God got so much more. God can do so much more. You might be a little better, but better is not your end result. Hey, I, can, I can see. I can see. And I don't know who, who God sent me to talk to, but some of you in the house keep settling for fuzzy vision. Some of you in the house just happy for whatever you can get. 
Some of you just happy you can see something and I'm here to tell you God didn't bring you this far just for you to see something. God didn't just bring you this far just for you to have fuzzy vision. At some point you got to be candid and say Jesus I'm good but I can be a whole lot better than this. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm your preacher for the day. I get it. I understand. Because there's some of you that's looking at me with that face and they saying well pastor I don't see why you're making such a big deal out of fuzzy vision. At least we can see something. At least we can see something. Ain't that something to be happy about? I'm with you. I'm your main man. I'm your boy today. I'm with you. And I understand why some of us think that way. Because you've learned to operate with fuzzy vision so long. That you assume that fuzzy is really clear. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a diehard football fan. Um, I, I love the Philadelphia Eagles. Y'all pray. That's my team. That's my team. I know y'all ain't saying no. Who y'all team? Okay, we'll get that in a little bit. But a few years ago, I, I, follow, I follow football. And so a few years ago in 2019, there was a football player by the name of Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston in 2019 set an NFL record. Set an NFL record. The reason I was intrigued by it is because in that offseason, we found out that Jameis Winston had LASIK surgery. The reason he had LASIK surgery was a response to what he did in 2019. In 2019, Jameis Winston set an NFL record for interceptions. Okay, anybody know anything about football? That's one thing you don't want your quarterback to do. Fumble and throw interceptions. Interceptions are turnovers. They, they cost you time. They cost you possessions. They cost you points. You can't win giving the ball away. So in 2019, Jameis Winston set a record. He threw 30 interceptions. Hold on, y'all. Y'all got to understand how bad that is. They only played 16 games. So almost twice a game, brother man throwing away the, throwing away. So he says a turnover. Matter of fact, it's one of the things that many people said he will never be able to be successful in the fail. And so he understood that he needed to get LASIK surgery. Now here's what's interesting about Jameis Winston. If you ever followed his career, he was a high school All-American. He's one of the top rated high school players, quarterbacks coming out in Alabama. He went to Florida State. Well, he started as a freshman at Florida State. He won the Heisman. He won a national championship. He was an undisputed player. They thought that he was going to be great. And so the question is raised now after a bad season in the NFL, what made him think that he needed to get LASIK surgery? Well, I want to offer this because I would say that Jameis Winston, he succeeded in high school with fuzzy vision. He did well in college with fuzzy vision. Fuzzy vision didn't stop him from getting a national championship and it did not stop him from getting a Heisman but when he got to a higher level what didn't bother him in high school and what didn't bother him in college when he got to, I wish I had some help in here because I got some of you under the sound of my voice and you thinking to yourself, well, Pastor, I'm doing good. Yeah, you're doing good on that level. But on that level, your fuzzy vision won't bother you. But the level God is trying to take you to, you need to have some clear vision. I dare you look at a neighbor and say, neighbor, level up, level up, level up. Stop allowing your fuzziness to limit you. There are levels that God's trying to take you and your fuzziness can win here but you need clarity to be up there first in the process environments must be changed you got to deal out of your Bethsaida before he can deal with your blindness valuations must be candid it's only when you're honest about where you are can Jesus do something about your better here's the last one and I'm done here's the third principle that if you're going to embrace clarity number three Excuses must be canceled. <laughs> Brings the man out. Jesus touches his eye the first time. He backs up and says, tell me, what, what do you see? He said, man, I can see, but it ain't, it ain't clear. Um, people are like trees, so it ain't right. So the text says, and Jesus touches the man again. Okay, all right. Jesus had already touched the man. He didn't already did what most people would believe is required. He touches the man. And so the questions raise, why does he need another touch? 
I want to raise this, my brothers and sisters. There are a couple of things I just want to throw out there. There are a couple of people who kind of use this miracle to try to say that Jesus doesn't have all power because if Jesus had all power, why does it take him two touches? I, I negate that. that. That has no validity in my opinion. I would also tell you that there are many people who argue why Mark put this in place because once again, Mark is a gospel of immediacy. It is a, it's a gospel of straightway. And so now Jesus doesn't do it quick. He does it a second time. And so I know you're raising the question, all right, Pastor, you didn't give us all that insight. Why do you think Jesus touched the man again? Well, remember what precipitated the first touch. The blind man wasn't looking for Jesus. The people who was connected to him brought him to Jesus. And they asked Jesus to touch him. In other words, that first touch could be based on the faith of the people. But this second touch... Is because now the man says, hold on, something different about this man, Jesus. So the second touch wasn't a response to the people. The second touch was a response to the man. I wish I had some people in here every now and again. You want to say, Lord, touch me again. Because this time, don't touch me because my mama asked you. And don't touch me because my pastor asked you. And don't touch me because Pookie Ray Ray asked. No, this time it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Do I got anybody at the fellowship that can testify? I need another touch for me. I need you to do something for me me. I need you to turn it around for me. Look up and down your road say neighbor, I ain't trying to be selfish and I ain't trying to be bougie but some stuff I need for me some stuff I need the Lord to turn around for me do I got anybody in the house that says I need another touch. I need another touch because only a touch from you I'm done he touches him again, I'm done, watch what happens he touches him again, and this time when he touches him a second time, clarity comes. He can see clear again. And remember I told you I go through airports a lot, and sometimes when I'm going through the airport, they say something crazy over the intercom. They always say stuff like, if you see something, say something. Which means there ought to be a response to whenever you get your vision back. I tell you to look at a neighbor and say, neighbor, I ain't trying to be funny. But you might want to put your little Baptist finger up on this point. Because I feel like saying something. Because you don't know like I know what the Lord has done for me. You don't know where I was stuck at. And you don't know how blind I was. But I got to testify if it had not been. the Lord on my side I don't know where I would be touch three people and tell them I got my sight back I got my sight back I can see a kid I can see a kid I got my sight back I'm done touch him again touch him again however that ain't the end and that's why I gotta be real with you as a preacher sometimes the Bible will mess up a good sermon because I wish I could just say hey ho and go on home on that one. But that ain't how the miracle ends. Miracle happens after he opens the man's eyes with the second touch. Watch what Jesus does. He said, alright, now I did my part. Don't go back to the village. Hold on, hold on, Jesus. Uh, I thought you just opened up the man's eyes. I thought you did a miracle. And Jesus said, yeah, goody. I opened his eyes, but I also needed to be honest with him uh, is that if you really want to magnify this miracle, you're going to have to manage it well. Uh, and see, this is why I'm going to lose a lot of y'all because some of you are going to sit down uh, and say I didn't preach today because you want me to tell you uh, that every miracle comes from the Lord uh, unconditionally. Uh, but what I want to suggest to you, there are moments uh, where the Lord can do something, uh, but if you mismanage it, you can mess it up. In other words, child of God, uh, why ask for a miracle if you ain't going to manage it well. In other words, wrong villages can mess up right vision. And I ought to have somebody in the house turn to the neighbor and say, I don't know what your vision mean to you, but I made up my mind this year that I'm not going back. I'm not going back to the places that robbed me of my vision in the first place. I ain't going back. I ain't going back to the people that robbed me of my vision in the first place. Go and just look back and say, neighbor, if you want to see me. I ain't going
going back to those villages. I got to get out of here. May the Lord bless you real good. But lean over to somebody and say, neighbor, whatever you do, manage your miracle well. And say, neighbor, whatever the Lord does for you, make sure that you take good care of it. Because once the Lord does what he's going to do, you got to do your part. You got responsibility. And you got something that you must do. Goodbye, fellowship. Y'all are kind, church. But I know you're still wondering, did I make my connection? Well, I sat on that plane. And I didn't know if I was going to make it. But another voice came on the intercom. And that's when the pilot declared, I got good news. The fog has lifted. So fasten your seatbelts. It's time to take off. And that's my lasting word for you. You've been waiting on the tarmac. You've been waiting on the runway. But I'm going to be your PA announcer. I'm your pilot today. Guess what, guys? The fog has lifted. Fasten your seatbelt. It's time to take off. Lean over to somebody and say, neighbor, fasten your seatbelt. Fasten your seatbelt. Get comfortable because it's our season to take off. Do I got anybody that said I'm ready? to take off. Oh, y'all ain't ready. Y'all still chilling. I need about a few of y'all in the house that said I'm ready to take off. Oh, y'all acting bougie. Let me holler at the balcony. Look at somebody say, neighbor, I don't know about you, but I'm ready. I'm ready to take off. If you're ready, get your wings out. Say, neighbor, excuse me. I got places to go. I got things to do. I tell you. I can't hear you open your mouth and say, excuse me, neighbor. It's my time to take off. Everyone stand that I'm done. Play that church slow jam music for me. Listen. Because when you can see right, there's nothing that can stop you from going where God wants you to be. And every now and again, when the fall gets lifted, After some of you go to your job tomorrow, don't even say nothing to them, just be like. Go to school tomorrow, don't even say nothing, just say. What's wrong with you? I'm just going somewhere, don't mind me. I got, I heard a little light-skinned preacher from, from Augusta, Georgia. He told me I can take off, so I'm just, just taking off. Everyone stand there, listen, I just need to tell you this. I focus on the vision, but just as significant is the villages. And there's nothing worse than the Lord doing something, but you willingly going back to the very thing that could mess it up in the first place. I, I gotta go, I gotta go. But I don't know where you are today, but as your head is bowed real quickly, I wanna pray with you. And this is my prayer. Lord, deliver me from wrong villages. So, some of y'all, some of y'all need to pull out your cell phone and start changing some names in your phone. Village one, village two. Some of y'all need to start adding some locations in your spot. That's I can't go there, y'all. I just, what's wrong? You went. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. The Lord told me I like my vision too much. God, I pray now for the people of God. You've done so much for us. You brought us from blindness to fuzziness to clarity. Thank you for the places you delivered us from. Thank you for the better you didn't let us settle for. 
but also now God guard us from the villages that have the potential and possibility to destroy everything that you have done so Lord I simply ask as your humble servant today that you would deliver us from even the desire of the bad village Lord, I pray now that you would once again release us from even the appetite of that which has the potential to destroy what you've delivered out of us. So Lord, I thank you because you can't make it more clearer than this. So now God, we got places to go. We got things to do. We got ministries to impact and lives that need to be transformed. So God, you did your part. Now let us do ours. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at somebody tell them, I can see clearly now. I can see clearly. Come on, don't stop clapping your hands. Come on. If you can see clearly, somebody open your mouth and give God praise. Come on. And while you're blessing God, bless God for the man of God as he leaves today. Lift those hands. We're getting ready to go home. Lift those hands. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the clouds that had me bound. It's going to be a bright, a bright, sunshiny day. Some of y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. But I dare you to wave those hands if you believe it. We can see clearly now the rain is gone. Wave those hands if you can see clearly. We can see obstacles in our view. Here we go. Gone are the clouds that had me bound. It's going to be a bright, a bright, sunshiny day. You want to wave those hands if you believe it's going to be a bright, a bright, sunshiny day. Some of you have been trying all week long, but I dare you to speak it by faith. It's going to be a bright. Say it's gonna be a sunshiny day. Somebody praise him if you believe it. Some of y'all gotta learn how to put a praise on the word. I said, some of y'all gotta learn how to put a praise on the word. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I've been grounded long enough, but God has just cleared me for takeoff. Don't tell them I ain't worried about you no more. I gotta go somewhere else. Now I dare you to praise him if you know you get ready to move to another location. I don't know what's going on on this side, but I said I need you to praise him if you get ready to move to another location. As a matter of fact, look at that neighbor one more time and say, neighbor, take a good look at me. Cause it's the last time you get ready to see me right here. I guess that was just for me today. As a matter of fact, move your position. You've been standing in the same place too long. But move from where you were at. And say, I'm getting ready to go someplace else. I'm not going to fool with it no more. Sunshine is coming. I can see the sunshine. Some of y'all won't even move from where we went. But we get ready to get out of here in two minutes. But I dare you to just take one step from where you are and say, I'm changing my location. So when my haters go and try to find me, I done move somewhere else. Get ready to change my area code. Get ready to change my zip code. Lift them if you're going there. 
touch three people and say, are you going? Touch three people and say, are you going? I dare you to get bold and say, because if you're not going, I'll see you next time.
I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all the obstacles in my view. Today gone are the clouds that had me bound. It's going to be a bright, oh, a bright, sunshiny day. Ooh, it's going to be a bright. Come on, clap those hands together. Hey family, I pray you've been blessed by this message that God gave me. I hope you stay connected to Fellowship Chicago through YouTube, Facebook, or our website. Go to fellowshipchicago.com today and make sure that you stay updated on all of the great things that are happening on the ship. Until we meet again, may you be blessed by the power, the peace, and the provisions of God. Peace, peace. Peace.